Hey, pronouncers, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. Got a special new locale. No, I'm just at my parents' house. We've got Stephen Farrig from Campus Inc. and Mr. Matt Marcotte out of uh, Printavo, Sound and Fury, Rising Grind. What else? Am I missing something? Bruce, you traveled to see your parents. That's good. I'm sure your parents are happy to see you. You forgot your microphone stand. I didn't forget. The problem is, is I'm at the the dining room table, like with the camera going this way, and so I can't clamp it on this table. It just doesn't. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just hold it. It's fine until next episode. Then I'll have a little space. You gotta hold it like this. Yeah, hold hold, okay. hold it a little more awkwardly for me, just so. <laughs> Perfect. That's better. Maybe I could put a little necklace so it's... Oh, there you go. That's a good idea. A little easier. Steven, you were saying that you were up super late working on SOPs. What was that all about? Yeah, I'm kind of in one of those, like, modes where I just try to make as many SOPs as I can and, like, standardize stuff. Um, I, like, go through them a couple times a year, and I try to, like... I don't know. I feel like you go through these ruts where you just like organize, 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 and then you stop for a period of time. Yeah. You're right. And it's so, not just incremental all the time. It's very, yeah. So, um, I just realized like the last time I really, really went at it was in early spring. So Adam and I just made it a goal to say like, before school starts, we're going to really nail down a couple, couple big key things. Well, like what? Um, yeah, what, what, are the, what, what are those, the what are those changes? Yeah. So uh, one of them is obviously our Printavo is extremely complex. Um, It's an understatement, but yes. And it works in my brain. And um, I'm not in the shop every day. We've got a lot of remote employees and we have a ton of new employees. Um, Almost three quarters of our staff is new in the last year and a half. And so um, I was like, I need to make something for them so that it's really easy for them to understand like what their core functions are in Printavo. And so I, I called it like the Printavo neural network. And I went through every status and said like, what happens, why we do it, what you need to know. And I uh, tagged their names by it or like their departments. So really when you filter them down, here are like the 10 or 15 that each department really needs to know. Um, color coded it, used tons of emojis. And it was like just a good opportunity for, for me to like clean things up. Um, like get rid of statuses that we weren't using, um, just kind of do some cleanup. But um, I've been just like doing that, and everyone's like, "Whoa, this is way overdue." So, so yeah. is this front and back office roles, or is it because you had the interns, which I'm sure exposed a lot as far as training, because you have to do that fast before they leave? Um, we've been, you know, like with our sales staff, um, seven of our full time sales people have only been here. the longest has been here a year. Um, So we've had a lot of new employees. And um, with that, I'm just trying to make sure that like, they can work as as like lean as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. So they can send out quotes really quickly. And they just know how everything's working. So that when we do get busy, something's not getting stuck in the cracks or something like that. So it's for the sales team, it's for the production team. Um, just about for everyone, uh, even like our art department kind of revised how we did stuff with GraphX, just an overall like summer cleanup. So, so yeah. how many statuses do you have now? Um, I think like 113. Um, but, 
but, but, but, but, but, I've got about like 25 of them that are orders on hold and they're on hold for various reasons, right? So like when our students submit an order, there could be something that goes wrong with it. Anything from in colors to print locations to product not in stock. So we use it to like, we've got a lot of redundancy. Um, the other thing is our art department graphx they've got about like 20 as well. Um, so yeah, um, try to cover every, every, every part of it might be a little obnoxious. I'm going to dive in later on and take a, take a peek and see if I can wrap my head around it. You're not allowed to. <laughs> um, so with the SLPs, do you, do you go through and train them or like, how does that work when they start or when you're going through and creating them? Is it the, you're going through it or is there a manager to do it or how does that? Um, so we're, we're in the process of building like middle management. That's kind of been the, the task of 2021. Um, but, um, actually I was listening to Andy's, uh, and Dylan shirt show on Sunday, they were interviewing, uh, Max or might've been an older episode. Yeah. Um, and they were talking about onboarding and thinking about like your outputs of what you want the employee to be doing and laying it out in like a template, um, and, you know, I think when we look at other industries, they spend a ton of time training and we never spend enough time training and we beat a dead horse with that. And so whenever I have a new employee, I just try to make that experience slightly better because the more work I do ahead of time, um, the better they're going to be off um, when they're working on their own. And in one of our last hires, um, I actually enrolled him in some like Coursera and Udemy classes um, or Udemy. Mm-hmm. And I like bought them and I was like, Hey, this is a four hour course on customer service. Like just take it. Um, or this is uh, two hours on Shopify or whatever. And so I don't know, I just, we need to create experts around us and, uh, I can't do all the handholding. So really try to dial in their first week, create a ton of education for them. So that hopefully it builds up like task maturity. And the more you invest with like the time and those other resources like Udemy and things, the less you're going to have to be hands-on later on, going back, retraining, refixing. People oftentimes, I find, are, are trying to rush things through. because I need a body, I need a body, I need a body. Well, if you put an untrained body somewhere and they start to make a bunch of mistakes, you can only blame yourself, right? So I think that's the, the, the best way to do it. And uh, I think more folks should do what you're talking about, too, going to Udemy and all these different online, Coursera, Linda, find classes that are in any way similar to what they're doing and pay them to go take that class or watch that class, go in the break room and watch us the next two hours and uh, come back and write up like a little, little breakdown of like what you learned and share it with each other. I think that's a, a great idea. Yeah. So trying to do that um, because as we scale, like if you have an employee that's not well-trained, they can really damage like the team and the flow. Um, they can, you know, if they don't know Printado inside out, um, they can cause errors and, you know, that hurts customers and ends up being my problem at the end of the day. So, you now, know, the more you go ahead. Sales, I mean, sales in front end, I, I, I can find it being a lot easier to find some kind of uh, pre-existing training to teach, right? But once you get back into the, into the press room, you get into the dark room, you get into the, those kind of more physical jobs. It's probably a little harder to, to do that upfront training. It's probably a little more of like shadowing, um, having, do you have like the supervisor kind of train them up for certain amounts of time in different areas or how do you, how do you go about the people that are more the, the, the worker bees? We definitely need to do better at that. 
that's probably our weakest point, and that's why we have to call Matt for help so many times. Um, but what was, a, what was a recent problem you had to call Matt for? About twelve hours ago for a sim process job. <laughs> what happened? Um, nothing was terribly wrong. The screens just didn't get burned on the right LPI, and it was just a little oversight, and so they didn't know why it wasn't simulating properly. And uh, I wasn't there, so it was all of us on a group text, and um, Matt was able to diagnose it quickly. Um, but you know, it's easy for me to standardize the sales side of the business. I'm getting better at standardizing the production side, um, but by creating like it's almost like an apprenticeship. Like in your first three months, this is how you need to be. You know, you need to be able to like load this many shirts an hour. You need to be able to do maintenance on the presses. Um, and then build it backwards. Are we there yet? By no means we're not, but um, we brought in Justin, our operations manager, you know, a year ago, and he came from the food industry. And so he's all about like checklist, 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 checklist. So we're getting there. Um, Matt, we're, we're using Printavo Consulting, um, compliments of Matt Marcotte to help coach <laughs> us in that arena for sure. As a previous production manager, especially of a larger shop, uh, what do you feel like are some common qualities for somebody else hiring a production manager that you would convey to them to help them? Uh, and it could be anything, right? There's, there's like hard skills or soft skills. It feels like there's a crazy balance there of everything. But what do you, where do you think the best, the best folks are and, and you know, what should they have? I think when looking for a production manager, the biggest thing to look for is someone who works well under pressure uh, is able to kind of have a lot of things flying at them at once, slow it down, compartmentalize, and then try to just break it apart, but quickly, right? So I don't necessarily need to have someone who's a phenomenal printer. I don't necessarily have to have someone that's like a phenomenal spreadsheet whiz that can go figure out numbers. You can train people. You can put them through Udemy classes on how to use uh, Excel, right? You can train them on all those things. Having the ability to just have chaos and then take that chaos and calm it down, I find to be the most important quality when hiring a production manager because let's be honest, most of the days, you're gonna come across some sort of chaos. Someone calls in sick, a job that has to go out the door in like two hours is not working on press. When, when you get frantic, things only get worse, nothing ever gets better. So I always think the most important thing is someone that can stay calm under pressure and then you can train them with those skills. You can train them how to diagnose a print, how to understand what's going on, how to control the variables. You can train them how to understand how to work with, with employees, how to work with customers. Those are all skills that I think are a little bit more uh, trainable as opposed to training who they are intrinsically and the ability to just remain calm under pressure. I think that's a little bit more at birth almost, right? Like I think that's a, a, a hard skill developed in how, your, in your early years. How do you detect years. for that though? How do, you know, especially in the interview process? Well, you, you really can't in the interview process. You ask them questions like, how do they do under pressure? And they're gonna be like, oh, I'm great under pressure. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, you're not gonna really believe Check. that. So um, whenever hiring for production managers, I would you have to have previous production manager experience or if you're as a new person, they're not a production manager right away. You put them in as a production coordinator and you have to kind of do a little bit of that uh, Venn diagram where you're kind of like overlapping a little bit. Um, but you put them to the paces, you teach them the basics, you have them do sign-offs, you watch what they're doing. You see how, also, if they're new to the company and they're coming in as a fresh face, the, the press operators are gonna help put them through a little bit of hell because every shop I've seen this happen at, 
the new person becoming a new supervisor over the press operators already, they're going to have to go uphill a little bit. They're going to be treated a little bit like crap by a handful of people. Some people are going to be nicer about it. Other ones are going to be jerks, right? That is also a good pressure test. If you can't figure out how to navigate someone being crabby at you, then you can't be a good production manager in the long run either, right? So put them as production coordinator, start testing them out, and you'll usually see, and I always recommend when you're hiring middle management management that you're on kind of like a probationary period for the first like 60 to 90 days just to make sure they are a good fit. Because you'll know in that first 60 to 90 days if they're a good fit, and if they're not, get rid of them and start over. Don't keep beating your head against that trying to, trying to make it work. Um, so that's how I always handled that. I um, So we brought in our we call operations manager with no press experience whatsoever, no printing experience, and they managed a huge restaurant. Um, and it was a really interesting transition. Like there were times where I didn't think it was going to work. And then as we learned to work with one another, I also learned like, how someone that works in a kitchen knows how to keep a bunch of things juggling when like everything's going crazy, how to deal with crazy customers, how to deal with employees that have a lot of issues um, and like how to keep a level head through it. And I think one of the things I've learned, actually Justin was just on paternity leave, just had a little um, baby boy. And so he was out for the last month. And so I was just kind of texting and I'm like, you have a way of keeping the glue together in the back of the shop, you know, keeping everyone happy, checking in on everyone. Um, and when he was gone, it was cool to hear some of the people, like some of them say like, oh, can't wait for Justin to come back. And those were individuals that may have been fighting him during that first 90 days, you know? And so it was really hard for me to like, he knew nothing about printing. It's like, you don't know, you don't know jack about printing, but I want you to manage. But like, I had to let the team know this is who's going to be managing. So like, don't fight it, you know? And once they kind of turned and realized, wait, it's not about like who can print the fastest or who knows the most about printing. It's, it's, they're the glue. Um, everyone like fell in love with it, you know? And so that was a, that was a growing pain for us and for Justin and I, because like, he runs his kitchen differently than I do. Mm -hmm. How long did it, it take for, for you guys to click? Um, probably, probably wasn't till like, you know, we started in October, probably not till February, you know, and I did need to bring Matt in to help for like the technical side. And that's where you, you bring in professionals, right? Whether it's like, Ryan or Matt or any of those guys that helps bring credibility to the table. Um, but then I also like gave him space and that was when it started working. Like when I gave him space, um, what, and to I, like figure out the problems. Yeah. Like, you know, FedEx, something happens with FedEx. He's got to deal with it. You know, uh, was that because you felt like you were jumping in when correct. there was a problem? And then be Correct. like, this is how, oh, okay. You should do it like this. Uh, you should do it like that. You know, letting him figure it out and use, I mean, his own common sense. Um, like he's an extremely intelligent individual. Um, it was just like an opportunity for him to, to, to know that I do trust him, you know? And at the end of the day, when SNS hasn't, you know, or missed a shipment or UPS or FedEx, like he's the one hauling in his truck and, and doing everything that I would do. 
you know? And so it wasn't until I sort of like walked away a little bit and said like, we both can't be in here trying to be production managers. Um, and so I don't know, that's, that's kind of how it, it worked for us. And it's a work in progress. We're still learning every single day. Um, well, but, it's, it's yeah. double, it's double training. Not only is it, he has to learn how to be that role and you have to learn how to stop being that role. And those are two very hard things that are happening simultaneously. And like, they kind of want to work against each other. Right. So it's, it, it's, it's almost twice as hard for you as it is for him in some of those instances, because it's that much harder just to not still have that control that you've done hands on for the last, what, five, five years. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, I respect that, and I, I'm, I was happy to see that journey. And I, I did see some of that head clashing early, early on. Um, but like you said, he's a super intelligent guy. You're pretty smart too, so uh, I, I knew that it would work, work its way through. <laughs> we okay, should, so we, we could have him on at some point. Just would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, Justin's great. That's about actually it. a really good idea. I, I'm um, curious if you were to go back then. So it sounds like six months before it really started clicking and, and running well. It, was it possible to get that down to two to three, or is that just the time it takes? Like, were were the things that you pulled away from saying I should have done this different? Um, you know, he was coming at you know like he was coming to the rescue in a time where we were really really busy, so it was not a good time to train. Mm, um, okay, and so we timing. were already like timing was really bad. We were going into fourth quarter craziness, and um he kind of saw me flying by the seat of my pants trying to figure out how to do all the fulfillment and all this. And he's trying to take a stab at it too, but none of us really know what we're doing, you know? And so it really takes time. Um, and I, I could have done it a ton better, a ton better, you know? Um, Bruce, have you, there's a book called high output management, Matt, have you read it? Bruce? Not. I've got it on my Kindle. Add it to the list. Okay. I just downloaded it. Um, Written by the old CEO of Intel in the like 80s and 90s. Um, And the concept of it is about like outputs from your employees and creating middle management. And it uses this concept called like task maturity. Have you guys ever heard of this before? No, what's it? All right. So task maturity is basically like how good someone is at their job to do it by themselves and excel. That's it. So someone with really low task maturity needs a ton of handholding, right? You constantly are showing them what to do. And, you know, we could even talk about reclaim, right? The first day at reclaim, you're grabbing the power washer, so on and so forth. As they get better at their role, they increase their task maturity, right? They become masters of whatever they're doing and you become less of a micromanager handholder and more of a coach. So the whole idea is, is, is taking your employees and looking at their outputs and looking at all the things they're supposed to be doing, like what they're supposed to be mature at and building it backwards so that you can be more of a coach and less of a micromanager or a handholder. Um, and so it uses like Intel and kind of Toyota and all the different things there. But it actually like it says that most people when you're over meeting with your team, that means that you're not you know, you have low task maturity and your team doesn't really know what they're doing and you're doing a ton of handholding. Right. And so it talks a lot about like one on ones and how you should really only do a one on one every other week um, and you don't need to be breathing down your employees throats. And if you are, that means that 
you know, they have low task maturity. So it's really a great read. Um, super, super, like super insightful stuff. So I don't know. Um, it's, do, so, yeah. do, so if there's low task maturity, does that, so it sounds like there's two signs. One is, does the person have the aptitude to do it? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm assuming so if you hired them, although, you know, we all make mistakes. If they do, then it sounds like it's on us for the, the training and the, you know, like listing out stuff and creating a better process. Yeah. And, and it basically says like people don't do things for two reasons because they like don't know how to do it or they don't want to do it or something. Um, and so it breaks it down and it actually kind of talks about it, each employee as an input output machine um, and how you are supposed to help tune that box um, to make it to make it run better. So um, super cool. And it was written kind of before um, it actually says in the in the like beginning of it, he says, like, the greatest innovation in the world is email. Um, and this is written like the 90s, which is pretty cool. Um, so I would, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. Bruce, maybe we should cover it whenever you finish traction. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to buy that today and start reading it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, I'm going to two second lean was a good one. I'm mm going to go through this one now. I'm pumped. All right. I got to ask anything. We're going to change. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Um, got a really good question from Dina Smith. Thanks for writing in. Uh, she says, Hey guys. How do you name, file, organize your artwork and embroidery art files? How do you assure that all staff handles it the same way? <clears throat> SOP. That, uh, so that it stays organized and easy to follow. And uh, one last part to this. What is your preferred place to save and share these files? So um, I got an easy one for that one. So obviously ahead, the best place to, to save them is in Printavo production files. Um, other than that, I've got a shared Google Drive as well for other files that maybe not aren't finished files. All finished files, so actual output set files, those get uploaded. And I mean, I do separation myself, so oftentimes I'll start off with like the, the, the joke is always like separation working dash final dash actual final, right? So the actual final one, three. right? The actual <laughs> final one is the one that I upload there. Now, I ran into the issue of I would have my own like naming nomenclature for a file and my business partner, Mike, would have a different one. And then when I was trying to go into our shared Google Drive to look for things, I was like, what, what the hell's happening? So I just owned that and standardized it. And I literally made a printout and taped it on the wall behind both of our computers. So that's how you save a file every single time. So it was just a, for us, it's the, the, work ID, the order ID number, underscore, the customer name, underscore, the nickname, underscore, output. Right, that's that's it, and every single one. A little longer than a lot of folks are gonna like, but for us, it works perfectly. Always easy to find, always easy to, to catalog, and get back to, to duplicate or anything like that. So that's how we went about it, and it's been working for us. So why do you put all those in? Is it just to make it searchable? Yep. Got it. Um, Aaron Draplin teaches, he does a class for our students once a year. And that's like the first thing he talks about is organized files. Um, And he says, you know, to create the directory and name it with the year first. So like 2021 underscore your project name. So whenever you start a new project, you go year and then underscore and you always use underscores between words so that it is searchable. Um, But that way he literally went back and he was able to navigate through like eight years of artwork. 
Um, and he's like, if your, you know, if your files aren't neat, if your file storage isn't neat, how's your artwork going to be neat? So it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to have tight steps and things are going to be nice and neat, make sure your files are super, super clean too. We store all of ours on Printavo for production files. That is the single source of truth for production files. Do you um, not do a Dropbox or Google Drive as well for like Matt's doing? No, Printavo does great. <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'll use Printavo for anything that's a final final uh, version of anything. Any working uh-huh. files and stuff that's not really necessarily going into that. I might want to hold on to a working file as opposed to the output file. So that's where I'll store it in a Google Drive. Um, Got it. And if I, if I need to do that too, I'll actually drop that link in the production notes. Um, so if, if we need to quickly go back to that working file, I got that link right there to go right into the G drive. Yeah. I mean, personally, like I use a Dropbox and Dropbox connects with Printavo on like file picker. You just log in there and you can pull your Dropbox files. So personally, obviously I don't, I don't save anything there, but like the whole company kind of has the same, they have the same rhythm with how they're working on their project files. And then the second a job is going in, it's obviously going right into Printavo. Um, and I think the, the best part about that is every time you have a reorder, like digitized SEPs, you literally just search it, boom, there it is. Uh, and it's the easiest thing ever. Um, and you have and graphics, how, which part and graphics, easier to plug onto it. It's crazy. Sense. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Dina, I hope that was helpful. Are there any was other a, ideas? That was a are... good question and actually an overlooked one, I think, by too many shops. I'm glad, I'm glad Dina asked that. And, and that's why I, I wanted to ask, too, like, do you find most shops do that way then, Matt? Like, let's say, I'm not sure if Dina's on Printavo, but if she's just doing G Drive, you recommend putting it all in like that so you've got the metadata to search through it a lot easier? Yeah, I mean, I mean... In, in RG Drive, I do actually have it segmented by years as well, like Stephen was saying. Um, so we've got a year folder, and then you go in that year folder, and then they're all dropped there for that year. Um, and I just use that same naming nomenclature. That way I can search things easily in the drive. Got it. Okay. And Dina, if you're on Printavo, thank you. Um, hopefully that helped. And feel free, guys. You can always write in at podcast at printavo.com. I think it's podcast. Producer Chris, is it podcast or podcast? No, podcast, singular. Singular. <laughs> at printavo.com. Get both email anything. addresses. Hey, Just this, to... is the, this is the part of the show where Matt and I get to ask Bruce a technical question about printing. Uh-oh. So, right, so let, let's, let's, I, I want to bring it full circle, actually, Steve. I'll okay. let you ask a question, too, but I want to bring it full circle, what we talked about earlier. So what I want to know is when Stephen and I mentioned that a job was at a certain LPI, what were we referring to? And if you're doing a SIM process or a simulated process job, what would be a good minimum LPI to start outputs with? Oh my gosh. Can you okay. explain LPIs? The latter question, yeah. I do not know. So I'm just gonna tell you that right now. But uh, being in graphic design previously as before Printavo world, I was always doing freelance design. And, um, um, and so in Photoshop, you had to always set the what was the setting? Was it DPI or was it when, when you create a new file? So like it, 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 it might be listed. Well, PPI would be for web. It may be DPI. DPI and LPI are oftentimes interchangeable, kind of. Um, but it, you'll set your file DPI, but your output is an LPI. So Got when you're it. dealing, so when, when you're, when you're, yes, exactly. So a canvas, an artboard, you're going to set in a DPI, and that's usually ideally 300 DPI. 
Um, it can be a little bit lower and you might be okay depending on what kind of file you're printing. But your output is what that's going to go lines per inch. That's what's going to actually go onto your, your film or onto your screen, direct to screen, anything like that. So when we were saying it was put out at 45 LPI, the dots were exaggerated slightly more because it was a lower kind of a resolution, right? So when you're dealing with simulated process, unless you really, really are designing it to work at a lower LPI, um, which I've seen it done, but it's pretty rare. Usually you want to start off at minimum 55. I prefer 65 and you can go higher. There's some arguments that 75 is even better. There's some arguments saying that 75 is too, too detailed and that you get muddy, um, but 45 is a little bit too low. All right, I'm going to give Bruce one that's easier. Um, that was Bruce, easy. I mean, you guys you forgot. I was doing all the artwork Bruce? approvals and SEPs back in Bruce, uh, our little manual Bruce, shop days. Can you walk us right, through? Can you walk us through the reclaim process, please? Ooh. Ooh. Oh man, I'm thinking back in our little garage. Actually, I'm trying to remember the chemical names though. Um, when we bought all the equipment, <laughs> we everything was in spray bottles and he's like that's 305 or that's 400 or whatever like all the different ones were um but yeah no first and actually i had a refresher at Matt's shop uh, a couple months ago so that helped but um yeah no we scrape off the ink we put it back in the bucket then we spray the uh i can't remember if it was I can't remember the name. So but it's explain the, what it's doing, and that, that'll be good enough, because the yeah, names are going to be different. It, it, it like, takes off the ink, and you use the rag, and you pull it off. Okay, cool. And then you go in, you put it into the dip tank, which starts to break up the emulsion. You spray it out. and uh, Oh, and then we use the uh, degreaser, which I believe got off the ghost images, right? It, or was it, that a separate it, one? And what we were using, which we were using uh, EasyWay products, uh, yeah, 701's a dehazer, degreaser. Yeah, yeah, we did, we had to do that too, which, you know, it's funny because you learn that from it happening, right? When you're uh, printing, just like we learned not to stuff the dryer with shirts um, when you're running a last-minute job. But, um, yeah, that was it. Then we just I, think, dry. We I, think I think he passed. So, I, so I think he passed. You, yeah, I you, don't know you, the you, automated you, equipment, but... I mean, it's going to be different on based on whose automated equipment you're getting to. But you, you got the short of it. You were using an ink degradant on press to break down the ink to avoid it going down the drain. You then put it into a dip tank to soften the emulsion. You blast it out. You use a dehazer and a degreaser, and you get that clean. Uh, the most I'm important impressed. step is you rinse it at the end, a, a full, clean rinse. That way there's no leftover chemistry in there. Uh, and then we vacuum off the water uh, with a, a vacuum wand at that point and then put it in the dry box. But, yeah, I think mm. you passed. I think you passed. Ding, ding, ding. Oh. All right, we'll we uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to we'll have to get a little tougher next week. I'll, Chris, I'll I need sound effects. Anything past the uh, garage screen printing world, I will have no idea. <laughs> but the, I'm going to uh, question you on little... art stuff more because you keep saying you did art in the past, and I've seen you send over files for me to print. I'm I don't know, <laughs> Bruce. We want to see <laughs> some the of the PDF original shirts you printed, Bruce. Yeah. I have it. Uh, you can go to actually woodencotton.net. Um, I'm going right now. Think, this is news to yeah, me. Here, I'll, I'll share my screen, actually. Let me load it. Okay, so have this was our... About this? Okay, let me share my I, screen. I got to know where that name come from, Wooden Cotton. Who's... Okay, so Why? the story basically went like this. Um, really into skateboarding before, and then I started an e-commerce store on WordPress which at the time was a really bad idea. Um, WooCommerce was just not ready. (laughs) 
uh, and we started selling skateboarding gear and apparel from other people. And the whole thing was that we sell like wooden stuff, decks and things and cotton, like shirts and, you know, I like, I like the myspace.com link at the bottom there. I want, what was your MySpace oh, yeah, name? That's Bruce? retro. That's very retro. I don't Wow, know, Bruce, your services here. Uh, t-shirts, long sleeves, hats, jerseys, jeans. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know. Any, any type of cloth. Any type of cloth. <laughs> graphic design for your project. Oh, yeah. water. You were a water-based printer, Bruce? Look nope. <laughs> uh, detagging of clothing. Foil stamping. Wow. <laughs> this Business was a cards. very clear copy and paste from somebody else's website. <laughs> Small posters. <laughs> yeah, this is very... We never did any of that. I mean, here, look, look, look. Let me click on the blog. And this is where you can see some of the stuff. You know, oh. I mean, it was collegiate. So it was, so, it was one color, two color... Um, um, wait, stuff. I need to stop because there's one part. If you go to contact us, it uh, says, if you have AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, you wow. can instant message at Wooden Con. We'd love to talk. Hey, look, I would like to say that I was pushing forward live chat before live chat with customers was a thing. Bruce, what was your AIM screen name? Oh, I learned. I learned um, this recently. Uh, Schecter Hellraiser, isn't that? Yeah. If you if you play electric guitar, I'm sure you've heard the brand called Schecter. And yes, I was very into metal at the time. I never would have guessed that about you. But when I heard, learned that, I was like, "Whoa!" You actually got like two more cool cred points in my book for that one, even though it's like laughable. You still got you still got some points. I love to play still more. I just literally, I feel like after I bought an acoustic, I just didn't go back to electric, but. You left metal for Dave Matthews? <laughs> for John Mayer? <laughs> oh, that's, actually, that's a little better. That's okay. <laughs> wow. This but is yeah, a great No, website. that was um, one cotton. We competed in the Champaign area. I mean, there was just so much business. You know what we did was we would take postcards. We, did, we had two marketing techniques. One was we'd take postcards, we'd print them, and we'd just leave them everywhere. Um, yes, it was littering. Uh, but we said... On the bottom, it was like student discount, like ran by students, you know, for students type of thing. Uh, I think it was like 5 or 10% off your first order. That helped. But the other thing that really, really helped was email. Um, and what we did was all of the clubs would always email their members but never BCC anybody. And so we copied all these emails and then put them in the CC and then we just email regularly like – you know, once a month, just something about us and, and a little coupon. And that just drove an insane amount of sales. Um, the one that we got in trouble, though, for is I found out that in the we had what's called Compass, which was like the student, you know, dashboard or whatever. And they didn't lock down the way that you could email all students. And so I just said, you know, let, let's just send it. And of course, you know, we got called into the office and they're like, how did you do Like, why? Like, you are not supposed to do blah, blah, blah. But I mean, the email is gone. And so it, it got to everybody and that like really, really ramped things up. But anyway, email you, you marketing. You had 184 followers on Twitter? Wow. Oh, you're diving Probably deep. Probably all spam. They're all, wow. all different Bruce accounts trying to be his own fan. <laughs> Wait, last question here real quick. And we can go back into Wooden Cotton Land. 
Um, I wanted to <laughs> talk to you guys about employee retention. And and you you fair do a lot of different stuff for your students. I always see on Instagram you guys are doing like beer trolleys and um, Cubs games and trips to like Canada, lake trips and yeah, well Canada before all that stuff. But like, um, you know, is there like should we be thinking about a budget almost that goes back to retain people? Because I think once we think it's like yeah they work there, we kind of forget about it but we don't maybe spend enough and the reason i bring this up is we just had our big company we just like let's just have a big company outing and we had two days uh we did like a ton of different events people loved it it was a lot of fun maybe a little bit too many events people were so exhausted it was a lot but (laughs) but i don't know i swung really hard to one side i'll probably swing a little bit further back in the middle (laughs) but um you know, rehiring, it's almost like having a current customer. It, it's a lot cheaper to retain them and continue getting sales from them than it is attracting a new one. How do you think about that? Um, I don't know. I think uh, I look at like, I look at bigger companies and I, I see like, okay, like my wife Carson works for a, a trading firm um, and they spend a lot of time on their employees because the day-to-day is a crazy grind, right? They work really, really hard um, and they have a lot of fun. So they work hard, they play hard. And I think, you know, no one necessarily loves clocking in and clocking out every day. No one loves doing that, right? Um, And so if we can find meaningful ways to engage with our team, that just gives them a reason to maybe enjoy their job um, and, and like look past, you know, maybe some of the parts that aren't as fun. Um, and so if you could do small things along the way, um, they make a big difference, but you can also make a big difference without realizing it. Um, something like you can do is, you know, buy a flight for your one of your favorite employees. It might cost like 400 bucks, right? But like cover one of their flights with your spark smiles or something like that, right? Like that is bigger than giving them a 50 cent raise, right? Because they're going to get to home home and say, my company bought me a flight to California or something. And I think that stuff is super, super special. So something that we definitely try to do, we do carve out a little bit of our budget to have fun, go to Cubs games, you know, Lake House, Canada, you name it. Um, And that's, you know, that's what they all talk about. And they're all friends because of it. And even our, our full-time team, um, we have seven in Chicago and they're all, they're all super, super close, you know? And so I think it's, I put the burden on myself to say like, we got to bring people together. And Bruce, do you do I mean, it once a month, tw- every other month? However, I, f- I, f- there's no, like when I feel like it, you know, yeah. um, okay. I think spontaneous is important, you know? Um, I think going all out occasionally is really important. So like Bruce, you guys were super remote for the last year. A lot of people across the country, two days of like, we're all going to love each other by the end of this. That's awesome. People will remember that. Oh yeah. And so, um, you know, I saw Justin in Oklahoma took his entire team out, you know, boating for the day, things like that. Um, be special with your team. Um, and it is something you can do while you have a smaller team for sure. Um, I think anything so, that yeah. brings you in the group mentality, the last shop that I was uh, production manager of, we started the uh, weekly yoga, found out that one of the gals that worked there was a yoga instructor. 
And so we're like, okay, let's not make this like anything complex. I don't need to everybody like on the ground trying to do these crazy poses, but let's do some very basic minimal stretching and, and getting together and everyone's kind of laughing, having fun together and like unity. When you can stop actually just doing the job you're there for and you can bring unity into any situation, I think it's awesome. If you can do yoga, if you can go mini golfing, if you can have a taco truck come by and just like have 45 minutes where you just eat tacos and hang out, like all those things really, really make a difference. We do things where we'll take like a half hour once a month and we'll just, at the end of the day, we'll all have a beer on, on Zoom together and just hang out on our, on our success team. Like those things matter because you lose the water cooler chat when you're working remote and that's really how you keep morale up. So if you're just by yourself and then work, 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 and you don't have those team building exercises or the time to kind of just chill with each other, you lose that camaraderie, that family feel. Um, I think that Printavo being on the inside now here, I think you guys, we do it great, which is a lot of fun. That's the episode, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Print Hustles podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got a really special guest on next week. You can check us out every single week. We switched from Thursday to Wednesday because we're just testing and playing around with stuff. So anyway, someday during the week, you'll hear us come out. Follow us. Don't forget to hit subscribe if you're on YouTube or iTunes, wherever the heck you listen. We thank you guys. Thanks, Steven. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. All right. Bye, guys. guys. Later. See ya.